Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. I'm your host Owen Connolly, taking you through another weekly wrap of news from in and around the sports industry. Very happy to have with me once again Sports Pro Digital Editor Tom Bassam. Hello Tom. Hello Owen, nice to be back again. Great to have you back again and uh, we're going to be hearing in the second half of the podcast from Stefan Merkel who is the Executive Vice President of AV rights at the German Football League, the DFL. Tom, you conducted that interview with him a couple of days ago, and uh, we'll have a bit more on that as we go on. But to get us started, we're going to kind of invert the podcast this week, and we're we're kind of going uh, under the radar at the start rather than the end. Listeners who get to the end of our podcast will be familiar with this feature, but (laughs) those of you who bail out halfway through, uh, you're in for a treat. Arguably the big story in, in sports in the sports industry this week, but certainly here in the UK, is the unfolding takeover of Chelsea down to three bidders as we're speaking. But we have taken a, a calculation here that anything we talk about now on a Tuesday afternoon might be old news by Thursday morning. We're, we're really not quite sure about the exact timeline of that. So before we brush the Chelsea story aside altogether... Is there anything that's interested you about that whole process? Firstly, if you're not getting to the end of the podcast, you need to be uh, taking a good hard look in the mirror and working out why. But um, in answer to your question, Owen, uh, the I, I would say the, the the sort of drip, drip, drip of additional, I guess, partners in the uh, various consortium that are still in the running for it so i mean uh, the addition of george osborne for example over the weekend to one of the one of the bids it was just a kind of they just seem to be layering and layering on top things that maybe might look more favorable in the eyes of um, the people managing the bid process so yeah i think that for me has been one of the kind of interesting elements of it and actually it feeds into something i think we're about to talk about anyway of, of building a strong bid consortium and what that kind of looks like i guess yeah, that element of playing to an audience who uh, who maybe don't count so much in the long run um, with, with some of these adornments to, to bid teams and stuff. But yeah, it will be it will be something to watch because it's been such an unusual process. This kind of high level auction with a motivated seller and all the rest of it. And uh, we're not going to we're not going to speculate any further. Less time make fools of us. But we will move on to a couple of other stories. I mean, one breaking this morning as uh, as we're talking just after the Easter weekend, which is AC Milan have been linked with, or maybe even a bit stronger than that, there's been um, reports of InvestCorp, who are a Bahrain-based investment management group, and they are in talks for potentially a 1 billion euro takeover from Elliott Management of, uh, of AC Milan. What was your reaction to that? I mean, the, the one the one billion uh, euro price is is interesting. Includes uh, debt. Yes, true. Uh, but I think it also probably talks and to the job that Elliot has done in terms in terms of turning round Milan and making them a, a saleable asset. When a few years ago, that certainly didn't look like the case. They're sort of floundering around or outside outside of the top four in Serie A. Not particularly attractive in terms of what was going on off the pitch. And yeah, generally just looking sort of like a bit of a, a fallen giant, a fallen giant, as opposed to a, uh, I guess a, 
a fully standing giant. But I guess I guess for Elliot, that might, that's probably always been the end goal, right? Like they are a, a private equity investor. They're not there to run football clubs and turn meager profits. They're there to make an investment and then try and make a profit on that. So they've seem, seemingly done a fairly decent job of it. And if this takeover is the be successful then you'd say well done them you've managed to get probably back what you put in and save a bit of face for the for for the club yeah and a bit of financial discipline bit of discipline on the commercial side of things which we've obviously heard about a bit down the in the last year or two and in a funny way selling a similar story about the potential upside of milan which is that there is a stadium plan for later in the 2020s there is a a case for Syria, particularly the kind of Champions League clubs or the the Super League clubs, shall we say, um, having a, a bit of, uh, of commercial prestige as as we go through the decade. But of course, we know how notoriously difficult it is to to develop new venues in in Italy, and that's been kind of a stumbling block for the last the last fifteen years, arguably, with pretty much everyone except Juventus struggling to get projects off the ground infrastructurally, and with you know the media rights project having a few false dawns and a few false starts and, and all the rest of it. So definitely some investor confidence there and we'll see how it all manifests down the line. Another bid that is ongoing is the Denver Broncos. We're really leaping around the map here, but the um, Denver Broncos, which has the very real capacity to, to eclipse the value of, of the Chelsea takeover in the next few months. Um, Todd Bowley on both shortlists. Uh, reportedly, um, Sportico saying that he or his consortium is one of five that is advancing to the next stage of, of negotiations there. Yeah, as is Josh Harris, uh, who is um, in the running for Chelsea too. So you could end up with T- Todd Bowley, and I'm not sure how, I'm not sure whether or not one of these sales will influence another, but you could end up in a situation where either of those parties, and they are separate bids uh, on both counts, could end up with a, two significantly larger pieces of their sports team investment portfolios in the next couple of months compared to where they were this time last month. I mean, I don't think anyone was really even talking about the Josh Harris, David Blitzer element of the Chelsea bid. And he's now involved in this bid for one of the most valuable NFL franchises. I mean, they were ranked by Forbes as in the top 10. Um, They've got a pretty big area that they've got rights to in, in Denver. They've had a fairly successful team um, it, it, in the not too recent past, they look on the way up with um, with Russell Wilson joining in the off season. So it's it, yeah, if you could get an NFL franchise, and this one is uh, available because of the sort of issues with succession, I guess, from the family currently controlling them, then yeah, it's a, it seems like a prime mm. time to buy. And you know, some of the recurrence of a few of those names, we're we're seeing this networking happening in a, in a fairly informal way, but investments across European football and major league teams in the US. Um, Josh Harris, of course, involved with um, uh, HBSE and and the investments that they have in, in major league sport in the US. Um, we've seen the 49ers take bigger and bigger stakes in Leeds United. We're going to see a little bit more of this. Well, the Cronky Sports Entertainment being a, a really obvious example who have um, ownership of, of the Super Bowl winners in the LA Rams and the uh, probably not going to be Champions League winners anytime soon, (laughs) Premier League side Arsenal, among others. You know, we're going to see more of this kind of portfolio strategy from from big investors in in sports as well. Yeah, I I think 
I think that's sort of inevitable, isn't it? I mean, it's almost kind of like how many can you line up without having their conflicting interests or how many can you line up where you can tie some of those together even? So both Josh Harris and David Blitzer have investments outside of HBSE, but other owners tend to try and link up some of their operations across their teams too. Uh, and it provides sort of one pretty good strategy in terms of being able to well, set digital operations across a across a kind of a wide portfolio, but also knowledge sharing and the ability to transfer sort of, oh, this this has worked for us over here. Why couldn't this work for you guys over there? And just, so yeah, I think it's something that we're going to see more and more of. And also as less and less people um, are able to buy uh, teams with the values of these going up, then perhaps it's going to be in that smaller pool that people keep on um, having to come back to in terms of the likes of the Rain Group when it comes to selling a big team. Yeah, and convincing the likes of the Rain Group that you have the wherewithal in terms of knowledge as as well as financial, you know, the, the kind of financial security available to um, to run one of these teams. Inverting that slightly, the Seattle Kraken have added two minority investors to their group, and they are the former NFL star and former Seattle Seahawk, Marshawn Lynch and Macklemore. Uh, clinging on to relevance is that is that unfair? But anyway, <laughs> Michael Moore involved in that deal as well. Um, but the, um, the 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 interesting thing with that is that is of a piece with what's happened at Angel City, for example, where you have a lot of minority investors, a huge, huge, huge bench of minority investors coming in from different worlds, from you know, from other sports. Uh, as in Marshall Lynch's case, from entertainment, as in Macklemore's case, from technology, et cetera, et cetera. And you do have the crack and you've got, you know, the, the CEO of Amazon is involved and in, in that type of thing. You know, this kind of investor as marketing partner almost approach is is going to be something that, that, that we perhaps see a little bit more of in the next few years. It, yeah, it's interesting kind of that they've... I think it was Todd Lewacki told um, CNBC that uh, this wasn't, they weren't particularly looking for new investment in the, in the Kraken, but actually when those two individuals, I mean, you could argue about which one is the better rapper, but um, when those two individuals sort of made their willing or desire to become investors in the team known, uh, such as the sort of benefits and the, the sort of easy win, I guess, for a franchise like that, that, it made a lot of sense. I mean, they're, they're going to be taking very small stakes. They can't see it being much more than 1% or 2%, maybe diluted slightly in terms of value. But what it will do is bring buy-in from those from those from Marshall Lynch and Macklemore. So you, you'll get Macklemore probably doing the odd um, big opening show at the Climate Pledge Arena, and Marshall Lynch will bring some of his sort of expertise in reaching perhaps communities that uh, ice hockey has struggled to get to. Yeah, I can't see it being a big pull in Marshall Lynch's sort of Oakland hometown, for example, but mm. he does a lot of work in community outreach and some of that kind of goes probably a little bit under the radar, but it's something that he, as someone that came from a disadvantaged background, is very passionate about and therefore has a lot of support in that area. So it, yeah, it's bringing in expertise or bringing in sort of high profile individuals that are now bought into that cause yeah. too. Yeah. And I think in that CNBC report, there was a suggestion that the NHL will work with Marshall Lynch on its campaign, or he will be brought into its campaign, which I think is called hockey is for everyone, but it's diversity and inclusion uh, campaign as well. So it shows what can happen with, um, with that kind of 
involvement and yeah a few different visions there for what sports ownership is going to is going to look like as we await uh, news on the fate of Chelsea um something's got harder to buy in the last couple of years and this sounds like an ad actually but <laughs> something's got harder to buy in the last couple of years is a new car believe it or not Tom because of supply chain issues and and all the rest of it relating from covid and, and other factors and so you've seen an influx of companies like cinch like motorway and the uh, subject of the other story that you were bringing to the table before we go over to the DFL, Kazoo, a very prolific sports sponsor in the uh, the last year especially, and they've continued and internationalised their approach and their, their march through that particular sector. Yeah, I was doing a bit of background research on like, all of their different sports sponsorships because actually like, if you add them up, there's a there's an incredible amount. I think they're involved in. Uh, so starting in the UK, they've got they've got deals in with the hundred. They've got deals with Wales Rugby Union. They've got deals in snooker, darts, um, rugby league, and like the most high profile in Premier League being Everton and Aston Villa. Um, but recently, this has expanded across Europe. They've made a series of acquisitions in terms of company buys in order to access new markets. And and obviously, having had success in the UK with this approach, they've taken up some pretty major um, sports sponsorships as well. So they're going to be a, the front of shirt sponsor for Marseille next season. Um, they've done deals with Valencia and Real Sociedad, and most recently, they've now come into the Bundesliga as well. So last week, they uh, announced a deal with Freiburg, a middle ranking Bundesliga side. Um, uh, to be their front of shirt sponsor, and it, yeah, it's 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 clearly something that, um, as a brand, they they've just had success with, and thought, well, if this works, if this has worked in one place, people who go to football tend to be car buyers. Let's keep going with it. Yeah, new new sector, as I said, the 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 cost of a or the value of a second hand car is also going up. So these companies must feel like they're on to something because they're all marketing quite aggressively. Um, the fact that you have Cinch and Kazoo as kind of competing sponsors within the ECB universe is, is an interesting one too, that if you're a, a Test Cricket fan, you're looking at Cinch, and if you're a, a 100 fan, um, you're looking at Kazoo. But the, I think we, we have um, Kazoo at Sports Pro Live next week, um, 26th and 27th of April, if anyone is in London and uh, around the Kia Oval. But the development of that strategy, because it feels like quite an, I don't want to say traditional, but conventional marketing strategy in a lot of ways which is that it is just getting you know in front of people and and making sure that it's a brand that they associate or that they're familiar with when they they have to do you know their car buying or car selling but yeah it will be interesting to see how how they go on from there and and um what's still in it for for brands when it comes to sports sponsorship yeah, they're also sort of a new, newish category of uh, of brand as well, aren't they? I mean, there's not actually that many in te- that, are, that are not crypto. Uh, so this is a, a one for, a, or at least blockchain based or Web three based. Um, this is a new a new category of sponsor for the sports industry to go and mine a little bit. I think in a sort of diminishing pool, they're probably quite quite an attractive one. They don't have any troubling ties to. I don't know, making your investment look pretty silly or addiction. So they're a fairly safe brand too. Uh, and I guess that that adds to the attractiveness for on the on the sort of on the side of the rights holder yep. too. And it's also 
while we're uh, trading in tortured segways. It also brings us into the uh, the world of the Bundesliga. And we do have an interview with Stefan Merkel to bring everybody in part two. Um, what can you what can you tell us about that? We talked actually right at the start of the year about the Bundesliga, you know, um, Donata Hopfen coming in as a new CEO and the kind of the creative challenge that there is for European leagues that are not the Premier League uh, when it comes to, you know, generating international attention, but also the challenges that there are for all leagues when it comes to what they do with attention at home and what they do, you know, how they build their relationships with their fans and um, how they build on the platforms that they have. Bundesliga um, has done all sorts of stuff in terms of like owned innovation, um, you know, working with partners to develop, whether it's analytics or whether it's broadcast solutions or, or what have you, things that kind of take the game onto onto another level. What are some of the things that you talked about um, with Stefan? Yeah, I mean, the, the Bundesliga of, uh, and the DFL, I guess, as the as the broader body, uh, are very aware of the fact that it's a, the Bundesliga is a very German product and that in order to sort of attract fans elsewhere and grow that product outside of its native country, they're going to have to do things slightly differently. They're not the Premier League. They don't have the sort of big pull. They don't have the natural Spanish-speaking alliance i guess with uh, with those part of the world it's a it's a yeah it's a very german product but it, in order to counteract that they've they've tried to make their broadcasts as innovative as possible it's kind of introducing lots of different elements into storytelling and um yeah stefan merkel was really like really good at sort of explaining what some of those things are uh, and i i started off by asking him what's going to be new in the in the dfl's sort of broadcast outlook going forward we've launched a couple of broadcast innovations especially over um, the last year and as often did this um, at the occasion of the uh, tentpole events that we have throughout the season be it for example their classicas so fc bayern münchen versus borussia dortmund which is also up at the end of april um, again or the dfl super cup for example where we attract a huge domestic but also international audience um, of course it has been a huge number of innovations that we've launched over the last year. Um, and it's not so easy singling out the best ones. However, one that I've been particularly intrigued about was a so-called 9 to 16 or vertical video production that we have um, experimented with several times over the last year. A, a live production that was specifically geared towards um, vertical mobile consumption in a portrait mode where we've seen over the last years, even in the live environment, that this mode of consumption has gained tremendous popularity among our fans and where we've experimented quite a lot. We just didn't do this by, let's say, cutting off the edges of a horizontal production, but we've realized this as part of a native production with specific cameras, a specific OB van on site, specific commentators, for example, because we wanted to provide a truly native and original experience, which has been received quite well by the fans domestically and internationally as well. Another innovation that we've launched over the next, uh, over the last year, and which I particularly like because we did so in close collaboration with our broadcast partner Sky domestically is the so-called um, tactical feed, which is a feed which originally originated in the sports environment and was used by 
the scouts of the clubs because that's a feed where you can see all 20 field players on one screen and you have a perfect tactical overview. Just a few years ago, Sky asked us if we could provide them with the feed because it would also make a good broadcast product. We did so and over the last year have worked on a product which is uh, fully augmented by real-life data, so-called Bundesliga match facts that we supply with um, Amazon Web Services, our partner, and even now also internationally, a dedicated tactical commentary. It has been received really well over the last years domestically, and we're looking forward to the international rollout as well. Those are, I would say, two of the major innovations that I particularly liked over the last year. Yeah, just as a kind of quick follow-up onto the the first one, where are people watching that vertical broadcast? Most of the times uh, where we've implemented this production, it has been uh, used on TikTok. Of course, we always did this um, in close collaboration with our respective broadcast partners. In this case, for example, domestically, MZ1, our free-to-air partner here in Germany. And there it went on TikTok. They just opened a new TikTok channel just for this very special event and it really delivered quite strong audience figures. The DFL always seems to be rolling out new innovations. I mean, you you just mentioned a couple of them there, but why is it that you, you guys do this so much? I mean, it's not that's not exactly common amongst every major league in the world. Some will go, I don't know, years and years without introducing um, a new feature to their broadcasts, but the DFL seems to be doing it every 12 months or even more. Um, I would say we are so keen to introduce new technology for two major reasons as a league. First, because we believe that it certainly makes the broadcast experience, the broadcast product better. And secondly, we also believe that increases um, the sporting value of the competition. So with respect to the broadcast product, what we should never forget as the Bundesliga, and this is certainly also common for many other sports league, we are a highly virtual product. So of course, we are, as we call it, football as it's meant to be with full stadiums and so on. But even with full stadiums, after the pandemic, we have 300,000, 400,000 spectators inside the stadia every weekend. But just domestically, around 15 million people every weekend in front of the screens and even more so internationally. So there are millions of fans out there of the Bundesliga, of our clubs who have never been to the stadium. And we believe technology is a key driver to um, deliver the best broadcast experience exactly to those fans, to bring them as close as possible, for example, to the competition, especially in times where this is not possible, um, for example, um, as part of the pandemics when we had to play behind closed doors. So there, especially technology played a huge um, role for our broadcast strategy. When it comes to the competition and the second point I wanted to make, I think um, technology clearly also makes the competition itself better because we were one of the first leagues already 10 years ago, which centralized data gathering in terms of event data, positional data, and we're supplying all of the data that we gathered centrally to all 36 clubs for preparation for all clubs alike. Because what we believed, and this is still our firm conviction, if we supply as much data as possible for a sound preparation, each club and each team can just prepare better for each and every game. And this raises the general standard of the competition. And those are the two major points why we are and continue to be so keen on launching new technologies and using them with such a high frequency. AWS is a, a partnership that you sort of alluded to in uh, in your early answers there. That seemed to me to be a sort of bit of departure from uh, the DFL's kind of previous strategy for working in technology. A lot, you, used, you used to develop a lot in-house through the sort of uh, DFL digital side. Why is that changing or is that sort of a, a long-term strategy change? It's a good question. I would say it's um, rather a slight change in recalibration of the strategy that we have done. So what we've traditionally done, as you said it correctly, we've done a lot in-house and we're serving what we call 
the glass-to-glass -glass strategy from the glass of the broadcast camera to the glass of the screen, the entire value chain in-house. We gathered all of the data ourselves, produced the TV signal ourselves to Sportcast, our production subsidiary. We had a digital subsidiary, DFL Digital Sports, and we're marketing all of the rides internationally also in-house to Bundesliga International, our subsidiary. Um, I wouldn't say it's a, a full change. It's rather a slight recalibration because we, what we've realized several years ago is that this glass-to-glass -glass strategy is still the right one for us and we believe firmly in its benefits. However, there are, of course, a lot of companies, um, especially in the tech space out there, which are large among the largest companies worldwide that can help us um, augment the strategy with the specific capabilities that we could never develop in-house. And AWS, you mentioned it, is a very good example. Of course, they have... Um, AI and machine learning knowledge in-house that we could never build up as a league organization. And we realized when it comes, for example, to data gathering, we are the specialists, but developing, for example, new match statistics by means of machine learning, artificial intelligence, it's really good to partner up with such an experienced partner such as AWS. Vodafone is another good example um, with whom we've teamed up um, two or three years ago already to develop technologies around 5G, for example, a 5G in-stadium app to enhance fan, fan engagement. Also there, um, it served our value chain, but of course, Vodafone has infrastructure capabilities and know-how that we could never build up um, as a league organization. Because in the end, what you should never forget, of course, DFL is among the larger league organizations, I would even say sports organizations in the international space. But of course, compared to those companies, we are still, I would say, a small or medium-sized enterprise with around three or 400 employees, which are highly skilled, which have highly specific knowledge, but it's always a good idea. And this has proven, I would say, during the last years to team up with such big technology companies on certain occasions. Can you um, just sort of talk the, the, the listeners through a little bit, the, the partnership with AWS and exactly what it is? I mean, we both kind of mentioned it a little bit, but perhaps it'd be good to explain exactly what you guys work on together. Of course. So we have uh, agreed on in, in the partnership agreement that we've signed several years ago on um several focus areas, I would say. One of the most prominent ones, and we've implemented this from the start early on, was the development of new match statistics. Because here, um, we believed that new match statistics, again, referring to what I said previously, one, make the competition actually better because it generates new insights that haven't been available previously, but it also helps to um, improve the quality of the broadcast product. Uh, because also with the so-called Bundesliga match facts that we have developed together, those are match facts that we regularly see in the broadcast domestically and internationally and which help explain also the game in a way that wasn't able before we signed the partnership. Of course, we had several other focus areas when it comes, for example, through personalization of our digital offerings, such as a domestic and international Bundesliga app. We've worked closely together in augmenting our Bundesliga archive with artificial intelligence features because as we have the largest broadcast archive worldwide, um, augmenting this with AI features so that you can search over 150,000 hours of content that we have in there highly makes sense. So those are just three examples, I would say, of what we work closely together with AWS over the last two to three years. Ah, fascinating stuff. You recently wrote for Sports Pro about some of um, the DFL's work in the in the digital broadcast space and your innovations there. One of the things that I was sort of particularly taken by was you working 5G and you alluded to working with Vodafone on that. Where do you see the 5G space going next for the DFL? How, how do you see that technology developing as a tool that you guys use? I would say we see two major areas of, of application when it comes to 5G. One is 
in the broadcast product, specifically with respect to broadcast production, and the other one is in fan engagement. This has been the case over the last one or two and will probably also be the case um, throughout the next year. So when it comes to broadcast production, we have um, followed closely cases uh, implemented by, for example, Sky or uh, The Zone or domestic broadcast partners where they remotely distributed signals in pre-match rundowns. For example, just recently um, at a game of Bayern Munich, The Zone um, was uh, generating signals in the pre-match rundown from an entirely remote location and was distributing this to their broadcast um, center fully remotely um, via 5G. This has been a very interesting case to us. We've produced um, together with uh, Sky certain uh, positions in the pre-match rundown of field reporters with 5G and believe especially in the future, it will give us many opportunities also when it comes to the flexibility of cameras that have used wire before, flexibility of cameras. It will offer tremendous opportunities because you can see that you can go to camera positions that haven't been, for example, possible before. The other major area of application, I would say, is fan engagement. I previously mentioned the 5G and stadium app that we have developed and continue to develop um, together with Vodafone. Um, it's an interesting app because um, to spectators who go to stadia where this app is available, they can hold hold up their smartphone, can hold it up to the pitch, and then can see real-life, real-time statistics of the players that are just now running on the pitch, how fast they're running, what contact times they have, um, how many passes they have made, and so on and so forth. And knowing that especially the younger generation, that is quite important to us because those are, um, I would say, the Bundesliga fans of tomorrow, um, especially this younger generation is very tech-savvy, very data-savvy, and values those statistics quite a lot. Those are the two ma major areas of application that we see for 5G. Yeah, I was uh, lucky enough to be flown out to uh, to Wolfsburg to to try out that bit of tech, and um, it was uh, oh, it was fascinating to to see how it works in real life. I mean, I, I, it was the first time I think I'd ever used a piece of 5G tech. I was I now have a I now have uh, an iPhone which has that capability, but at the time it was completely new to me. And just holding up my camera phone and pointing it at someone and clicking on them, and being able to draw up live stats was um, changed completely how you how you watch the game and really enhanced it for the person in the stadium to give them that kind of more broadcast feel that you. I mean, sometimes you want actually, even when you've got that live stadium atmosphere, you want to get up those stats and find out exactly what's going on during the game. So I, I guess that's kind of. That's where it sits, isn't it? It's in that bridging position between the the real uh, what's happening in front of you and what the and the opportunities that technology presents. Absolutely. Moving on slightly, what other sort of areas DFL exploring in the in the broadcast technology space at the moment? What can we expect to kind of see next from you guys? What's going to get get us excited? So, of course, there are a lot of um, areas that we are currently exploring. What I'm personally intrigued by quite a lot is our uh, all of our efforts surrounding applications of artificial intelligence, machine learning for the broadcast product, simply because they are so manifold. I just mentioned the initiative that we've launched together with AWS, making our um, archive with 150,000 hours of content and um, smart so that you can perhaps even use it in the live environment, saying if player XYZ has scored a certain goal, what was the most similar goal that we have seen, for example, to this one in Bundesliga history? Could be very interesting, very engaging also for fans, just to mention an application example. Another one completely distinct um, that was just very current two to three weeks ago is virtual advertising. So overlaying, digitally overlaying LED board messages, sponsoring messages that we see on the LED boards side of the pitch, where over the last years, the DFL um, has been testing with a lot of suppliers. And until now, 
this technology was entirely hardware-based. You needed specific boards that emitted infrared light. You needed specific cameras to detect this light. And then you um, got it to the broadcast center, which is, of course, very tech-heavy and very investment-heavy. We've just two weeks ago approved a system based on artificial intelligence and image recognition that can do all of those things um, just software-based, so without any specific hardware on the pitch or in the stadium and just remotely from a central production hub. Personally, I was very close to the topic already for the last four to five years. If you ask me two to three years ago, I would have not imagined that such a progress is possible within the next five or ten years. This is a very good application, totally different from uh, the archive that I've mentioned before, but a, a different application of artificial intelligence that we see in the broad, broadcast product. And another good example why I would say those are opportunities we are exploring What that I'm um, very interested in and very intrigued by at the moment. That last one, I guess, sort of the, the use case for it is that it then opens up and makes it much easier for you guys to promote different partners in different parts of the world right really personalizing those feeds yeah exactly and that's uh, what we are uh, absolutely doing the club uh, that the ride itself the sponsoring ride the messages that are on the boards are actually a club ride so in the end it's um, we are opening up a new possibilities for marketing the sponsoring rights um, for the clubs but indeed the plan as we've implemented it over the last years is to right now display between four and five feeds internationally that are tailored to specific regions, be it Asia, be it the Americas, be it Europe, where we display different sponsoring messages, feature different partners, um, which of course allows for a much more targeted advertising, targeted sponsoring messaging um, for our clubs. I, th- I guess we're all going to kind of hear a little bit more about this at the uh, at the Sport Innovation event, which uh, you guys got coming up in, in May. Perhaps if you can, Stefan, would you mind just I don't know, previewing a little bit what we can expect to see there? Yes, absolutely. Happy to. So um, this is an event where we will welcome uh, clubs, leagues, broadcast partners, media, um, technology service providers um, to, to Düsseldorf for two days in May. And I'm personally looking very much forward to this because I believe it's um, an event which is truly also in its format, in its concept, quite unique in the sports, the sports innovation industry um, in particular, because The unique part is that we have um, a two-day format here, and especially the first day is what we call um, a demo day. So uh, what we will feature is uh, three different football games inside the Dusseldorf um, football stadium. And at the occasion of those three events, we have um, invited um, dozens of um, interesting technology companies, startups, companies that feature um, their solutions that can showcase their solutions live directly at the occasion of those integration innovation games. So it's not a theoretical um, conference and just about talking, I would say, but it's real, um, really a, a practical event where you can touch, where you can feel, where you can see the innovations that are happening all at the occasion of a live game and of a live sports production. So this is day one, quite unique. And day two is then what we call a vision day. So a conference where we sum up the findings from day one, where we have panel discussions, and where we have interactive sessions um, and uh, and so forth, and where we sum up the, the findings from day one, round them off, um, and then provide, I would say, a very comprehensive um, experience for all guests that will be there for, for two days in Dusseldorf. And I hope also to to welcome many of your listeners of this podcast in, in, in Dusseldorf in May. It's highly recommended to be there. Okay, that was Stefan Merkel, the DFL's executive vice president of av rights uh, thanks very much to him for his time 
lots to look out for in Dusseldorf uh, a couple of weeks from now. Thank you once again, Stefan. Thanks to you, Tom Basson. Thank you very much, Owen. And thanks to all of you for listening. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media, and we will be back with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.